All right, welcome. My name is Matt Renwick. I'm uh, the uh, newsletter writer at Read by Example, and I'm uh, excited to have uh, some colleagues join me if you want to introduce yourselves and, and what you do. I'm a principal in an elementary school and also um, write a little bit and in uh, Wisconsin. Go to Jane. Hello, my name is Jane Delcourt, and I serve as the Director of Teaching and Learning for Howard Swamico School District, and my primary focus in that role is K-12, or excuse me, 4K through 12 literacy. Well, Hannah? Sure. My name is Hannah Schneewind. I am the co-author of Trusting Readers, Powerful Practices for Independent Reading, and my writing partner, Jen, and I are literacy consultants. Deborah? Um, let's see. Well, I'm uh, Deborah Crouch. I'm um, a literacy consultant as well and um, work with school districts. I live in San Diego. Um, I'm also co-author with uh, Brian Camborn of a book called Made for Learning. And Don. And uh, my name is Don Marlett. I'm a CEO of uh, Learning Focus, which is a instructional framework that's I'm now the current CEO. There's been many over the years, but uh, instructional framework that works on connecting high yield strategies for K-12 schools across mainly the eastern part of the United States right now. Okay. Well, welcome everyone. And if you're listening to this as a podcast or if you are watching the video, um, the plan here is um, is we're going to introduce the topic, the related text. I'm going to invite our colleagues to read and respond. We've already done the facilitated the asynchronous discussion, but I also wanted to hold a space here for a real-time conversation, um, reflect on the process and our current beliefs. We'll do a couple of questions at the end. And then I'm going to, I'll pause the uh, audio of the recording and I'll invite our colleagues here to write with me. I'm going to hit mute, but I'm going to keep my video on. And if anyone wants to join me, that's great. And we're saying, who knows where that will go. If it's a blog post, award-winning article, or just a note to yourself or something for your faculty. And that's the goal here is not just to talk about these important topics through reliable content, but also to model a process that I think anyone, any leader could use with faculty, with colleagues, that's short, that's meaningful. I wouldn't say short, but it's just, you know, uh, to the point is time well spent and is building knowledge together. And I think this is something that's sorely missing, at least in, in many districts that I'm aware of, that we just don't carve out the time for this. We don't value it all the time. And so hopefully this will be a process you can use. So uh, for everyone that's a subscriber to the newsletter, I'm going to send out the template so everyone can have it and use it for their own work. And um, I'll have the example that we did here today. So um, so the topic is bias in education, educational reporting, the science of, and the, top, the text we're going to use is the science of reading and the media is reporting bias. This is by Marin Ackerman from the Literacy Research Association. This is the first of three articles that critiques some of the reporting that we're seeing around the science of reading. The guiding question I posed is just how do we avoid these mind traps and help others do the same? And I'll give you a little background information on mind traps around simple stories from another text. Uh, the intention for today is just to build knowledge and awareness around the issue and to practice coaching skills when engaging in conversations around challenging topics. So with that, we'll do a little inclusion activity and it's um, and this is a challenge by choice, but uh, share, if you'd like, um, 
something you'll give yourself permission to. So I'll start. Um, I give myself permission to just say what's on my mind without worry too much about uh, repercussions. You know, I'll have a filter, of course, but so I'll just start with there. Just, yeah, say what's on my mind. I'll go ahead. Um, is this to say out loud, Matt, or just right now? Oh, it's totally up to you. Um, I, I, I give myself permission to challenge existing beliefs that I have. And I think that's one of the hardest things is we don't give ourselves permission to be wrong when we're learning something new. Yeah, and I'd add on to that. So I would give myself permission to change my mind um, about my existing beliefs. And at the same time, I would give myself permission to hold fast to what I do believe in based on research and experience. I can add to that, Hannah. I guess I would give myself permission to be open-minded, but in a similar vein, draw on my many years in education and what I consider to be high-level professional development and training that has developed who I am as a learner and leader. Give myself permission to fumble as I try to explain my thinking sometimes. <laughs> you know how when you're trying to figure out? Yes. To fumble, like fumble. Ditto. Uh, when I'm trying to explain something, I'm giving myself permission to that because sometimes I feel really you know, it's like I'm, I feel much more confident when I'm writing than mm -hmm. I do speaking sometimes. Right. Because you once it's out mm -hmm. there, it's out there. So I'm going to give myself permission to fumble a bit. All right. Well, this is great. Um, and this can be something you can do with your faculty um, instead of saying, here are the norms, you know, here are the rules, Robert's rules of orders or whatever you can say. Hey, let's you know, what can we give ourselves permission to? And it feels like a more inclusive way to build some norms around the conversation. Um, as we talk, uh, I, uh, I've been, I'm not cognitively coached. I am not a cognitive coach, but I've been trained in that philosophy through instructional coaching and, and the big uh, collaborative norms, they call them are pausing, paraphrasing, and posing questions. So, um, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we're all wonderful, um, professionals here and we'll, uh, you, you use these naturally, but this is something we can also talk with colleagues about is just um, three skills to use to to really listen when we talk about um, changing our mind, uh, staying fast for beliefs, examining existing beliefs. Um, they're very effective. So uh, we'll start with, though, the uh, just a video to kind of give some background knowledge on the mind traps. And it's a quick video. And if you're not familiar with her work, uh, her name's Jennifer Garvey Berger. Has anyone read any of her work? Mm -hmm. I know, Don, you read it, I believe. Okay. If, if you haven't, uh, it's Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps. And, and the, the big one I think that connects well with some of the reporting on the science of reading and some of the beliefs around it is the trap of the simple story. So I'm going to play that. And I'm going to press pause because I don't think I have permission to play it and record it. 
And what is her name again? Jennifer, what's her last name? Uh, Jennifer Garvey Berger. So I'm going to press pause here. So, but just, yeah, if you, for anyone listening, go, I'll put a link in the podcast too. It's Simple Stories, Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps by Jennifer Garvey Berger. Okay. Um, so there you go. And just with that background knowledge, again, the question is, um, how do we avoid these mind traps um, like we see in maybe some reporting? And how do we help others do the same? And yeah, I'm just going to open it up. Now I'm going to turn off the share. And we're just going to talk. So anyone wants to chime in, the floor is open. So uh, as I was listening to the simple stories and I was thinking about all of this biased media, it did actually help me understand a little bit of why people might find this so appealing. So one of the questions that I have is, you know, to whom are these articles appealing? So they're not appealing to, you know, let's say all of us who have you know, years of research and professional experience behind us. So to whom are they appealing? And when it talked about like, try to take someone else's point of view. So to try to be open-minded, I can try to put myself in the footsteps of, let's say a teacher who is brand new and who is wondering, hmm, what should I be doing? You know, and I can see how this might then appeal to that new teacher who with the best of intentions is trying to figure out what to do. Um, and I can imagine uh, a frustrated parent for whom schools did not work. And so I will say it forced me to think about, okay, I can, I can see who the audience for this might be. Um, and until then, I've been kind of baffled about who who this audience is, because since there's no research behind it, um, and especially in this article, right, it's all this, you know, one person said this without any research. So it's clearly not going to appeal to those of us who have a lot of research behind it, but I can see who the audience might be for this. I think I would add on to that. I think it would also, these these kinds of um, science of reading articles, I think they would appeal to people in leadership roles who it's like they're looking for that magic bullet. Like there's going to be one thing that's going to make the difference if I just do that one thing. And so, you know, as she talked about these, this lack of balance is that it, it's, it's the over promising of this and you, and and, and just the way these articles get written, um, you know, it's just, you can see how people would go for it. I mean, you really can, you know, when you think about how hard change it and how hard we all work to support teachers, um, you know, to support kids. So it's, yeah, that's not, it's not surprising, you know? Yeah. And Deborah, I'd add on to that because I agree with you with the magic bullet. Um, I often, looking for that effort of, we want our effort to be less effort and more impact. And I think that's mm -hmm. a hard part is that simple story is what we're trying to tell. And everybody's looking for that. So 
-hmm. once you find it, it's just easier to grab onto it and accept mm -hmm. it as reality. And then you don't, as the story says, you don't really go back and try to find the alternative view of that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to add on to what you just said, Don. I think that where I see the loudest voices within our staffs is um, surprisingly enough, some of our not brand new teachers, but um, teachers maybe 10 years in that um, don't like our curriculum, didn't like it before, but then once COVID hit and we had to go virtual and, and we found easy, I don't want to say easier ways, but coping mechanisms when we were teaching through a screen that um, didn't provide results either, but they were easier. And now we're back in real time and looking at kids with gaps and it's hard work. It's hard work to roll up your sleeves and um, get back to where we were at. And um, some of our teachers, if I think about the spectrum of staff in front of me, are doing it beautifully. And then there's a couple that, again, didn't love the curriculum to start with. So the minute, and we happen to use Calkins curriculum and we happen to use Fountas and Pinnell's running records. So it just became a perfect marriage to jump on that bandwagon and say, see, I told you this wasn't working. So, um, and again, the magic bullet, what is it? If we all, if we knew it, we'd all buy it. We'd all yeah. be there. We'd all be at maximum proficiency, right? So. Mm -hmm. I've been, it's, it's that thinking, it's like, if you, you want to put some blame somewhere. And so, you know, it's, it's easiest to put it on that thing that won't ever speak back to you. Like you, kids, other teachers, what I'm doing, there's none of that. So it's the, it's the easy villain in the story. Yep. That's the, that's essential for a story, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have the villain mm -hmm. and we, none of us want to attach the villain status to ourselves. So we look for somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting that you say that we don't want to attach the villain status to ourselves. I think that speaks so much to the ecosystem or the atmosphere that you have in your school, because if you are run a school or are lucky enough to work in a school where we assume everyone's going to make mistakes, we're all learning, we're all open to feedback. Yes, please come into my classroom and help me. Yes, I'm going to, you know, ask you to help me with this child because I've tried 12 things and I don't know. So if there's a school that is set up that way, which Matt, for example, I know obviously yours is, right, then it's not that we have to assign anyone to be the villain. We can change that narrative. And it's not that the bad teacher is the villain. It's we're all in this together and we all need help and we're all learning. And I think that that, um, you know, having that mindset is so different. And that's mm -hmm. how I think I would talk back to this article also, which is I have never met a teacher who said the only thing I want to do all day long for 90 minutes of the literacy block is teach phonics. You know, yeah. I've never met that person and nor have I ever met a teacher who says, I'm just going to give them a whole bunch of books and to see what happens, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, um, but those extremes also, that, that just does not exist. Yeah. I appreciate that, Hannah. Just no. thinking about how you might respond or they call them competing responses, not to get into an argument, but to kind of question 
you know, the validity and hopefully respectful way. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking about other things we might say. I know in the book, um, unleashing uh, on unlocking leadership mind traps, the question, the key question she has for simple stories is, um, how is this person a hero? Um, I sometimes find that difficult for myself and, um, I think my mind trap might be more of rightness. So um, to acknowledge that someone else might, you know, have, it, it's difficult. So, uh, but that's the question she poses out there. As mm-hmm. one ever well, I mean, I've, I've said this in, in um, PDs and to, and to people, nobody gets up in the morning and says, I think I'm going to go be a bad teacher today. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't mm-hmm. do that. And so I think it's that, you know, that finding that, and, and I don't think forgiveness is the right word, but that, but that seeking to understand and seeking to figure out where a teacher's coming from when they're doing something, because they're doing something because they think it's effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that, it's that learning how to, how to find that in that leadership piece, right? How to find that so that we can honor that because we know that that's what that teacher was attempting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, um, because to me, then that puts that, you know, it puts the teacher in the hero role because mm-hmm. they are, I mean, you know, like God, this job is so hard that they do. Um, but I just watched this, we have a, in um, California, we have a um, schools I'm working in, in San Diego, this, um, they call it UTK, Universal Transition Kindergarten. So it's four-year-olds. Um, at the schools and and um, they have two teachers an early childhood person and then a kindergarten certified kindergarten teacher who partner in these rooms and I was just in watching and like just the the these two teachers it was like the most magical space and like you know they'll have the little you know little you know four-year-old meltdown kind of things and the teachers just calmly just redirect them and and the kids are writing and they're they're talking and they're building blocks and just to having a glorious little time. And I'm like, this is like the most happy place. And I didn't even recognize that they had had like some, you know, challenging kids. And I'm like, you don't feel it at all because the teachers just, you know, yeah. You know, so I'm like, they're heroes. It's like, it's like, watch, you watch them and you see that they, um, um, they don't fall into this thing of thinking simplistically. And I think that's the the other thing that's just glorious about teachers. I don't think teachers ever think simplistically. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think there's too much going on yeah. to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for anybody to accuse a teacher of not having taught phonics, I just want to say, okay, when have you been in a classroom? Yeah. There's my pushing back question. It's like, so when have you been in classrooms? And really, because mm-hmm. I see phonics all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. Um, so yeah, okay. Talk, over talking, so be quiet. No, this is great, Deborah. Go ahead, Don. No, I was going to say too, Deborah. You, you kind of talk about like the impact of what I appreciate about reading this article was it kind of gave you a sense, and then kind of connecting it to what we just saw in the video about who's the hero is that um, I think in a lot of situations, at least I've come across, and not just in the science of reading, but in um, other areas outside where you read something that it makes the strategy or a specific thing the hero and then that becomes the thing that everybody wants to do 
instead of saying this is one more piece in your toolbox, but you still are the hero to decide when it's appropriate to use to the point where that it then again in the same scenario, it becomes more of a focus and we're trying to do this too much and we adapt it to too much. So and we lose some of that effectiveness that originally the original article kind of shared, but it turns the strategy itself into the hero, which I don't think I'd ever really thought about that from some of the blogs and posts and things, even probably from my own uh, writing of my own blogs of saying, am I putting so much of a emphasis on the individual strategy and not enough emphasis on the person that chooses to put the strategy in place? Mm -hmm. Marin Ackerman, that's one of her recommendations is um, be wary of, I'm going back through my own notes, be wary of any science of reading news that zeroes in on any highly limited slice of reading instruction instead of a well-rounded picture of literacy learning. Um, so I think that touches right on that, Don and Deborah. And I do think, you know, you're talking about uh, teachers getting accused or or even publishers or, or experts getting accused of not doing this or that. Um, it's tough for them, though, to respond, right? Because then they look defensive. And I I think the way some of these articles are structured, there's a binary, there is, it's a binary approach. Either you're on the side of science of reading or you're not. And so for someone by themselves to compete with, you know, to combat that is tough. Uh, but uh, Jane, you're, you know, you're, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm glad that it doesn't happen just to me. <laughs> hey, uh, who? Yeah, uh, I think someone said I can fumble. So thank you for giving me yeah. the for that. Um, Bumbling is good. So while you're uh, trying to re-find your train of thought, as we all do, um, a couple of things that stood out to me about this article in terms of the bias was she points out all of the things that the science of reading articles and specifically this New York Times article, all the things that those articles don't mention. Mm -hmm. And so they don't mention, for example, um, thinking critically about text, right? Developing their capacity to discuss and make reason text-based arguments, um, reading motivation. And what the other thing they don't discuss, which I think is what you were also talking about, is uh, the child, right? <laughs> In the midst of all of this, there's a child. And when we think about what do we probably, I would imagine we're all invested in child-centered or student-centered instruction, and the child is nowhere in here. So yeah. in terms of reading it and saying, yes, there's something, you know, there's something to this and it's leaving out huge pieces of the story um, and huge pieces of the story that are critical. So my favorite, one of my favorite new books is uh, Teaching Readers, Not Just Reading by Peter Afflerbach. And the entire book is about the roles of motivation, attribution theory, self-efficacy, agency, and you know, how all of those play into being a reader. And we could teach kids a hundred strategies. I could teach you a hundred, you know, strategies using phonics. And yet, if that child does not see himself as a reader, the strategies are for naught. So I appreciated that this is in bias three, um, that she pointed out all the things that are missing 
in the, some of those science of eating things. Yeah. And, and if you don't have that background knowledge, you know, if you're a leader who's never studied it, and I think that's what I was going to ask Jane too, is, you know, how do you work with other you know, leadership colleagues and Don as well, you know, who don't have that knowledge. Um, but uh, that's how we, I think we get, um, we don't have the right questions, right? So. Mm -hmm. well, I'd add on to that, Matt, and kind of your question, which is, I like the, um, the, Bias four, where she talks about you no know, really establishing the causal link, and I and I come across that without the without a good background or knowledge base for what we're going into to look for instruction that the in, inappropriate causal links are being connected inside of the classrooms, and I think that's difficult. Um, and sometimes to the point of saying that there's a simple story to for teachers if they would just do this, everything would be f um, solved, and that's really not the case because it's. There's not, the, like you said, there's not the one simple thing, but that I appreciated that aspect of it, of not making those leaps that we have a tendency to do. I mean, even in when the, they referenced the NAEP test, I mean, every year that comes out, we all jump to all the different reasons why it's happening. And every year it comes out, it's a different reason, it mm -hmm. seems like. <laughs> yeah. Even though um, independent reading has also gone down significantly, it's it's the teaching that's, you know, yeah. And I think they even said the NAEP scores actually didn't go down or they they actually, yeah, there wasn't a decline, but. Well, that was, yeah, the, the article I talked about that it didn't drop because uh, it was below where it was before mm -hmm. Lucy Calkins curriculum was really adopted. Yeah. So it can't really be that causal link. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I think in Peter Afflerbach, we did do a, 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 uh zoom with him last month it was a book study and uh he even said that too you know claim evidence you know if they make a claim your next question is well what's the evidence so um and again coming back to gene and how, how you talk to your your colleagues your your admin leadership um you know another question that i've tried with my colleagues and i don't know if you've had uh success but uh jennifer garvey berger talks about that's one possibility when they present something, you know, what's another possibility? Um, mm -hmm. Just, and I think that's one way we might be able to help others expand their minds. And, and I know I need that too. Sometimes I'll get, you know, stuck on something. So, um, but just other thoughts on how you might compete with um, in a cordial way or a collegial way um, when you get presented with this information. Well, I think one of the things for me with, um, was under bias too, the researcher that ignored other research contributions. Because I mean, another, just another piece of my background is 20 years as a reading recovery teacher. And when I listened to the Solda story number, I think it was podcast four or whatever, it was, we never taught phonics in reading recovery. And I thought, you never saw me teach reading recovery then or thousands of my colleagues because you can't get by without letters and sounds. And so I think, you know, those are the disconcerting things. And and um, it's been interesting because there have been others in the district that have kind of embraced this. And it, it tends to be teachers that are going for their master's right now. So that's an interesting parallel for me is the five that are having dialogue around it. Um, some more professional than others, you know, depending upon where they're at in their career. Um, 
some have other perspectives and they say, but yeah, wait a minute. I can see this. I can see this piece of it, but I can't see this piece of it. So um, I think we've been lucky in my district. There's a small, small group of teachers in the camp, but I think it's also allowed us to research some of the pieces and things that we knew we could do better. Morphine mm-hmm. awareness doesn't hurt mm-hmm. from where we were at. Our vantage point was, let's add some pieces. Let's strengthen some systems that we know might, you know, there might be something um, to say about that. So I think that just considering other perspectives and other bits of research that have stood the test of time have helped us um, keep things at bay, maybe, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm hopeful, I guess. <laughs> Good. Isn't it, isn't it kind of interesting how this is, you know, you think about how much emphasis has been in the past few years about teaching um, opinion writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, everywhere I go, it's like, we're teaching them to write opinion. And I'm just like, oh my God, opinion writing. But <laughs> see that one more time. I'm like, okay. Um, and yet we don't apply it to what we read. Like as teachers, we're teaching other kids to do it, teaching the kids to do it but we're not using it sometimes in our own practice. Like we don't read with that critical eye mm-hmm. ourselves. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just, it is, it's a fascinating thing. Um, yeah. Um, well, I'll, um, this has been great. And um, I'm going to close it. Just do a quick reflection on this. Um, we'll talk where we spoke just enough. So hopefully people are, pique their interest to dig into the article more and, and read more about this. But this hey, is Matt, are you going to do this with the other two? Yeah. So the next session, yeah. the next one in February will be on the last two. Okay. Um, yeah. So we'll, and I'll dig more into, I believe um, okay. any harm that's been caused is one I know from this, you know, on, on instruction. Yeah. I printed all three of them out. I had read the third one. I actually didn't, hadn't read this one until okay. this came up and I was like, Oh wait, that's not- they look exactly alike i mean the print and the font it was i had to like write number one number two number three (laughs) but um, we'll just kind of go around the the group and just if you want to share um just like maybe what's one key takeaway i'm going to post my doc here again so everyone can see it yeah like you're saying never like here's my there's my number one right there on the top left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get it mixed up out of order. But um, here are just some questions to consider. Um, what did I learn? Uh, what do I believe is true? How might I be wrong? Or how will I lead today? And uh, again, challenge by choice. But if you want to either write it down or if you want to share it aloud, that's great. Well, I'll say one thing that I learned is that it's very important to think about another person's point of view. So it's important to understand why, um, for example, this article and other articles like it are so appealing, meaning the New York Times article. You know, what about it is so appealing? Because when we understand the why behind it, it will be easier to address it. So I think it's important, a reminder for me to look at that other side. Um, 
I'll also say though, in terms of how will I lead today, I do think that it is always more helpful to think about what I will do as opposed to what I won't do. And so in none of those New York Times articles does it say, so, you know, here is a perfect suggestion for how you teach. You know, this is what your whole literacy block would look like, for example. But in a school, I think it's more useful to say, all right, so now we know maybe we need to be doing some more phonics, or maybe we need to add in some more phonemic awareness. And how are we boosting writing, independent reading, read aloud, et cetera. So I think to focus on, again, what you are doing, I think it's a more helpful stance um, and less combative. I completely agree. And I liked what you said, Matt, about competing responses. It's not about arguing, right? It's about getting ourselves into the position that we can have dialogue with, you know, teacher X that might see it differently. And I think um, I like the thought of there isn't one, one piece. So, you know, what piece is common ground for us? We're not going to agree on everything, but what is, what is the tool in the toolbox, so to speak, that you feel either is missing or needs enhancing? Because oftentimes when you get into discussion about, well, they need more, they need more X. Okay, well, let's look at where we are in instruction and where can we put that? No one would disagree that child X needs more X, but let's talk about that. So I think that that will be the mindset I take when I get into conversation, just so that it stays away from an argument and it's just more of a discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I'm piggyback off of how to lead today and uh, thinking about how reflecting on some conversations that probably could have asked more clarifying questions of where their understanding of the science of reading came from. Um, and I think sometimes I make the assumption that they've done the same amount of reading and research that I have. And I don't think that's depending on where it's coming from, skews the viewpoint one way or the other, or at least gives you, to use your term, Jane, the, the common ground of trying to understand that more. So developing two or three maybe questions that, you know, based on the article itself, I think um, pulling a couple of uh, ask about questions to principals and leaders that I work with to kind of dive deeper into their, their viewpoint of science reading mm -hmm. and how it's changed. I'm going to actually, I think I want to answer them from the bottom one up and talk about the leading part too, because I think the, like I know for myself, because it's helping me reflect on like how I'm working with, with folks is um, sometimes, sometimes this feels like a nails on the chalkboard kind of like not chalkboard, I don't think we have in those anymore, but um, you know, the expression I'm seeing the whiteboard behind me, um, how this is a, this is a topic that's pa that's passionate for all of us, right? I mean, we feel that. And I think sometimes the moment that it comes up, I want to go into defense mode. And 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 what you're saying about how that we know that everybody hasn't read. I mean, when you're in, in that professional leadership role, quite often, you know, I always I've always seen professional reading as part of my job, right? Like I'm I've got to keep on top of things because of that role. Um, but recognizing that most people probably haven't read that width of things or been engaged in these kind of conversations to push 
against some of the stuff that, that they might have read. Um, and so I think the things that are coming out for me is I, I love this idea about simple stories that you shared, Matt. Um, I hadn't thought about that before, although I recognized it in my personal life as it was playing. I was going, oh God, I just had a personal story moment this morning um, <laughs> anyway, um, before I left home. Um, but thinking about that this is a, a simple story that's being told and how, um, you know, this article and, and the other two are helping us to, to build the language that we need to be able to speak to these articles um, in a professional way. Um, and because I think sometimes, you know, it's like, I know for myself, if I, if I get really emotional about it, I sometimes lose my words and I don't quite know how to go about talking about it because I just become passionate about, you know, what are we doing to kids? And, you know, it's like, is this going to make kids want to engage um, if, if this is all they're getting? And, um, but having that, that language as a way of looking at the articles and articles from either side, you know, and, and it shouldn't, I shouldn't say sides because that's wrong from all along that continuum and, and perspective, all those different perspectives um, as well. So Oh, this was a lovely conversation, y'all. Yes. This was totally so good. good. And I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm much, I'm smarter now than 30 minutes ago. And well, I've taken five pages of notes, just so you know. Just yeah. Sitting here. So I'll just, I'll just finish with um, kind of a combination of B and D. Uh, what do I believe is true? And how will I lead today? I believe what I believe is true is my role as a leader is to not to necessarily be right. Um like I said, that's maybe a weakness for me, but more to be kind of the the uh, the calibrator almost. Like if someone's coming in real confident, you know, on some science reading topic, I want to kind of bring them back down a little bit and say, well, that's one, you know, well, that's one possibility. What might be another? Um, whereas another person, maybe, you know, I, I see some teachers maybe lacking confidence because they have like this retroactive guilt, you know, oh, I taught with this unit or this resource for so many years. And now I'm told I was wrong. And, you know, I might come in as a leader trying to bring them up like, Oh, really? You know, you, you never had kids successful. You, you know, this resource didn't build readers and, you know, where's the evidence for that, you know, kind of take a different approach with them. So I, I just, mm-hmm. I see my role very much involving certainly to be knowledgeable, but not necessarily to be, about expert, but rather to build expertise through conversation and reading. So thanks again for everyone. I'm going to turn thank off. You. Uh, yeah. Thank you, everyone. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. All right.